Dan McTague is a guest on our show quite often, uh, and he's he's popular with the audience. Uh, a lot of you like what Dan has to say, and I think you'll like part of what he has to say. I'm kind of interested because Dan's really coming in guns blazing on this one. Uh, we've heard a lot of talk about net zero by 2050. Um, that's where we're headed, right? Uh, government of Alberta is on board with that one. So is the Pathways Alliance, which is made up of Canada's largest oil sand producers. It's a pretty simple concept at, at its core. Net zero basically means when it comes to emissions of greenhouse gases, we're at zero. Net zero doesn't mean we aren't emitting greenhouse gases, but what we try and do is limit as many as we can, capture those that we can, and for those that we can't limit or capture, we offset it with carbon credits, right? You know how it works. So we've talked about this for years. Dan McTague, who is president of the Canadians for Affordable Energy, uh, says the whole thing is a scam. That's it. Dan joins us now. Dan, thanks for being here. I always appreciate your time, sir. <laughs> always good to be here. Thanks for that intro, uh, Shay. Okay, so like I say, uh, audience loves it when you're on. I think it's always a great chat. Tell me what's going on here, because this seems like a, a new den. Like you're, you're a little farther down the road than we you have been in our other chats. The whole world is running a con game here. Net zero is a scam. What's going on? I think the idea behind it is is rather suspicious and dubious. Uh, look, five, six, seven years ago, I said carbon taxes and a number of other regulations would eventually impact Canadians and there would be pushback. Well, that's happened now. But that's only really one small infinitesimal part of what the net zero uh, plan is. It's a plan by the UN and the World Economic Forum to basically, uh, quote unquote, decarbonize the world. But, you know, the math just doesn't support you know, our willingness to sign up to something for which many of us, in fact, most of us know is not based on necessarily scientific evidence and or so what we're talking about Canada in terms of emissions going into the atmosphere in terms of CO2. I can give you a number here because it's going to throw people off. Uh, you have uh, 3% of the world's atmosphere uh, made up of human made carbon emissions uh, of that amount. Uh, we, it represents 0.04% of the atmosphere. And Canada is responsible for arguably 1.5% of that uh, 3%, which means our contribution as a country is 0.00001, that's four zeros, one, two percent of the entire carbon emission of the world. Mm -hmm. Assuming, of course, that does change the weather, I mean, what are we really talking about financially and otherwise in order to make that change? To me, it sounds like what we're really establishing here, and there's a whole list of things that I put in the article that wound up in the Western Standard. You can see it at Canadians for Affordable Energy. What this really represents is that we found a grain of dirt in our homes. We're prepared to demolish the home in order to get that grain, or at least call it what it is, and neutralize it. To me, uh, this is outrageous, and it's, it's, it's amazing that intelligent people have not taken up the, the, the wider issue, although it's politically correct for now, when people start to assess the real costs of other regulations uh, surrounding net zero by 2050, that so-called decarbonization to achieve that, things like the clean fuel standard, the just transition, you know, four or 500,000 jobs immediately eliminated, you can all do coding and maybe janitorial work, uh, emissions caps, uh, canceled pipelines, uh, gas and diesel car bans, electrification strategies, you're hearing a lot about that in Alberta, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something the federal government's trying to do, electric vehicle subsidies, Things like uh, extraordinarily costly building codes, talking about affordable homes, and yet you impose these inordinate and, and significant uh, restrictions on housing. And yes, I have built subdivisions and I have built homes, so I know what I'm talking about there as well. Curtailed food production. Talk to our farmers. They want to remove nitrogen. 
Look, Shay, I, I'm glad you've given me the opportunity to talk about this. The mere fact that there has been absolute silence placed on looking at what is and peering into what this really means to my sense of uh, seeing things. Worrying about the carbon tax is great and wonderful, but it's only a very small portion of the agenda that is being placed upon everyone around the world, especially Canadians, in a coldest climate in, of any nation on the face of this world, uh, and basically saying you have to do these things. My question is, why? What are we really after here? Okay, so, and you mentioned, you know, you, you, you wonder why intelligent people haven't stood up and said, and I'm with you, I agree. If, if, if everything that you're saying, and listen, I, I certainly agree there are some issues that need to be solved. There are some limitations that are in place today. I don't know what it's going to look like in 2050. I, I'm not, I, I, I agree with a lot of the things that you say in the article in terms of these are things that we need to handle. But I, I'm wondering, like, we've got Danielle Smith is all on, on 2050. She's never had an issue with 2050. She doesn't like 2035, but 2050 works. Um, <laughs> We, we, we've got the Pathways Alliance. They're all on board for 2050. I mean, they, those are the largest oil sands producers in the world, as you know. So, I mean, we've got, like you say, very smart people with a lot of skin in this game, Dan, that don't seem to have the same issues with 2050 that you do. The trillions of dollars that they haven't had to worry about just yet to invest. We're talking about estimates, RBC being the, the one that I can think of comes to the top of mind. To achieve that goal in 2050 will cost the Canadian economy $2 trillion. Now, just put in perspective, that's bigger than their entire economy as it exists today. And like everything else, you have to experience the pain and the effect of these things before people realize it. For the province to say it's no big deal, let the federal government worry about it, let them come out with the subsidies, that's great. That's someone else's responsibility. For Pathways Alliance, these are the same companies that years ago basically said, yeah, we'll do all these emissions caps and realize that they can't do them. For the, our large automotive companies who received 50 billion bucks in public money or are about to receive that, uh, it's all great when someone else is paying for that. Guess who that is? The stakeholders here are not consumers. The stakeholders here are the power brokers, the elite, the folks out there that, you know, that uh, can look at these things. And, yeah, that's, that's a goal we can achieve as long as someone else is paying for it. Now, I'm simply saying that in the same way my concerns about carbon taxes almost a decade ago have now come to uh, to pass, and people are, generally speaking, universally opposed to them and are prepared to throw the governments out that are in favor of them, I'm saying that not looking at net zero is missing the absolute force to the trees, and we have to have an adult discussion about that because the implications aren't just a few hundred bucks out of my pocket a year to keep my home heated. We're talking trillions of dollars of money we don't have, money we're going to have to borrow. It will bankrupt the country. Well, uh, to use a, uh, a term from one of the, my favorite rock groups out of uh, Kingston, Ontario, uh, the Headstones, I smile and wave. We can't have that kind of a policy. I think we need a more serious, sober discussion about what the real implications of net zero are and what the results will be. Because I don't think we can electrify everything in this country, and I don't think you want to do that either. Okay, so so well, what is the alternative then? I mean, I mean, I think you know politicians react to what's important, and sometimes people think what's important is because what politicians tell them are important. It gets a little circular, but but polling shows, <laughs> but polling shows that three quarters of Canadians think that governments need to be doing something to address climate change. Government says this is what we're doing to address climate change. 75% of Canadians say, good, maybe you do more. Uh, what, what, what's the alternative then? Because I don't think you can ignore it, Dan. Well, no one's talking about ignoring it, but I think we have to be clear in, to, in terms of the impacts, and we have to be clear about the science. There's nothing worse than scientists trying to pretend they're politicians, holding their hand out and saying, give us some money so we can come to the conclusions you want, or worse, politicians pretending they know science. 
I don't think the science is settled here. And don't take my word for it. When you have people around the world, thousands of scientists pushing back on this thing, yeah, we're not part of the grift. It's nice to talk about this particular issue in the context of, you know, one molecule. If you're only going after CO2, then I think you have a problem. Go after all the emissions. Go mm-hmm. after all forms of pollution. And you know what? We do a damn good job at that here in Canada. We don't celebrate that. Instead, we continue to beat ourselves up. And I think it's time that, again, we have that ability to create a pause and say, maybe we should rethink this. Because it's not just Canada. Canada's just starting this. Look at Europe. The green backlash is real. Uh, manufacturing is leaving Europe. The eurozone is in decline. There's a recession in Germany. And I suspect the biggest example, uh, the country that's promoted net zero perhaps more than any other nation within Europe, Germany, is now, of course, ripping down its, uh, its uh, windmills and uh, opening up dirty lignite coal mines in order to, you know, to provide its energy. What I guess I'm really driving at, Shay, as inconvenient as it is, and it, it's rowing against the current of what is the, with the latest fad and the latest trend, we need to get real. We need to see the real implications of what we're asking for and whether or not they're, in fact, based on solid science. And I think on those scores, uh, regardless of who the politicians are here today, in five to ten years, as these costs mm-hmm. continue to, uh, to hammer away at our ability to make ends meet, I think more Canadians are going to start to say, Maybe we were misled, and I believe we have been. Yeah, Dan, I think you make such a good point. This is what I always say. I think we get really aspirational. We get really ambitious when it comes to what politicians want to do around this issue and what they talk about being able to achieve. And and then I'll hear the other side of it, which is, well, we can't do any of those things. And it's like, well, okay. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth, of course. Um, And I agree with you in terms of the reality doesn't change. We can say all the things and talk about all the things that we want to talk about. A reality will exist. We need to hear our homes or we're going to die. That's the reality. There's no getting around that right so ultimately reality will rule the day and the argument will come down to what the reality will allow us to do so i mean i i i I take your argument in terms of we need to address the reality we can't get wrapped up in the ambition and the aspiration look if it's going to cost us a hundred trillion dollars globally to do this and assuming we can get china and india and all these other countries on board will that change the, the climate? Will that change the temperatures? Will that make us happier? And I don't think that's an answer, honestly, that anyone's prepared to, 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 uh, to give, much less pose the question. I'm simply posing the question and saying, until I can see these things in a very, uh, the, the skeptic that I am, that every scientist should be and every politician must be, mm-hmm. unless you can demonstrate to me these things are absolute truth, i.e., in the scientific terms, the law of climate. And I'm not talking about suppositions. Unless you're prepared to show this, all I'm seeing right now is folks pointing the finger saying, yeah, I'm on board as long as someone else is paying for it. And it's nice for oil companies to say, yeah, they're on board, even though there are many people out there who believe that they should be eliminated as an industry. That's their problem. But if you're going to be, you know, uh, if you're going to be slavish about this or you're going to act like poltroons and think you're going to win over the other side that wants you eliminated, Good luck with that. Just transition is just the beginning of what they plan to do. These folks have made it very clear. They want the stuff left in the ground. They don't want it, you know, uh, in some way, uh, you know, taken out of the atmosphere and then put in the ground. By the way, uh, uh, scientist friends of mine talk about what happens if you have a rupture somewhere of all that CO2 going into the ground with, uh, you know, with the kind of uh, sequestration Mm -hmm. that's being proposed. Uh, You know, these are things that have not really been well understood. I'm sure it's 100% safe until it's not. And so on every front, I think we have to be very skeptical about this. We know what carbon taxes have been very bad for Canadians. They're unfair. Uh, You're creating exemptions here and there. This is only one aspect of 
plans and regulations the federal government has put in place. We need to look at the other 116. And that means the Conservative Party, which is campaigning on redu- on getting rid of carbon taxes, acts the tax, should be talking about a much more serious discussion because it's going to have a wider impact on Canadians, including the cost of food, the cost of living, the ability for us to make ends meet, and begin to have a sober discussion on net zero. Failing that, uh, we're just talking window dressing. Dan, as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here, sir.